Welcome to the brand new Women for His Honor podcast ministry. I'm your host, Shannon Torkelson. I'm a stay-at-home wife and mom of two children. Your other friendly ministry team members include email coordinator Rhoda Yoder, interview assistant Ruth Bennett, phone coordinator Mary Sue Moss, and social media coordinator Erica Webb. You can learn a little bit more about us and our ministry in the About section on our website. Just log on to www.womenforhishonor.com. Today, I have Rhonda Schrock here on the line from Wakarusa, Indiana. Welcome, Rhonda. Hi, Shannon. It's so good to hear your voice again. How are you doing up there in Indiana where it's cold? I have a candle burning. I'm about to make another cup of coffee, and life is very good right now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Rhonda here is sharing her topic, The Fatherhood of God. Rhonda, I read on your blog online that you write a column regularly for the local newspaper. You titled it, Grounds for Insanity. Can you share with the rest of us a little introduction and why that gives you those grounds for insanity? (laughs) I am grinning huge right now. Yes, I did. I wrote Grounds for Insanity for seven years. The reason the column was called Grounds for Insanity is because, as all my readers know, I love coffee. In fact, oh, my goodness, my tagline is one small caffeinated American mom. And so the grounds part of the title refers to that real love for coffee. The insanity is thanks to the fact that I am raising four boys. And I got to tell you, one of the boys had a dog, picked out, saved for years, prayed, picked out a beagle. And can you guess what the dog was, Shannon? It was a boy. (laughs) So that seems to be my lot in life. And really, honestly, don't tell them I said this, but I I am a boy mom and I just love it. Yes. That's great. So can you share with us your topic here today of the fatherhood of God? Oh, this is a topic that is so precious to me. I, The Lord has just been so gracious and kind to me in the last, oh, three and a half years in revealing this tremendous heart of his in, in the role of a father. And I, I have to tell you, I am now at the point in my walk with God as the father where I have this name that I call him that encapsulate what I now feel for him. And that is the word Papa. That's how I think of him. It's how I speak to him. Yes. And so it's so wonderful that day by day, moment by moment, I can speak to Papa and he speaks to me. Mm -hmm. I uh, was raised in church. I'm a full-fledged church girl. And um, grew up, you know, sitting on hard wooden benches, swinging my legs, listening through sermons, etc. In fact, in my home church, over the pulpit, there exists to this day a beautiful picture of Jesus in Gethsemane, the suffering Christ. And back when I was a kid in church, I don't think that I found much comfort in that picture of Christ looking down on me in those pews. The image that I had of God was that he was kind of a wrathful, angry, avenging judge. Mm -hmm. I felt like it depended on me to, number one, keep his wrath away, so wrath avoidance, and number two, to earn his approval and his pleasure. 
So what that constituted was a lot of hard work in performing. And being a firstborn, I was predisposed to that anyway, I suppose, if you study birth order. Conscientious, eager to please, not much of a rebel, wanted to please and be uh, receive approval, etc. So when you serve a God that is angry, that you think is angry, you will either work very, very hard or you will give up and you will just completely rebel at the demands of what you perceive to be an impossible to please God. I remember agonizing, literally lying awake in my bed at night, terrified that I had committed the unpardonable sin. And there would be many nights when that terror would drive me out of my bed, creeping over to my parents' bedroom to say, finally, I did this and this today, or I thought this and this today. Did I blaspheme the Holy Spirit? And my parents would try and try to assure me that I had not done that, but somehow that assurance just never could work its way down to my heart. And so I got to a point where I just secretly in my heart felt, I really just hate a God that sets a bar so high, demands that I reach it, but I am wholly unable to reach it. Mm. That was torment. Mm -hmm. When we read scripture, we see that God has so many names that he calls himself by. And of the beautiful names he uses are Father, Abba, and Daddy. If you could give us a definition of the Father heart of God in a nutshell, what would that nutshell be? Well, that would look like my brother and his family. My baby brother uh, and his wife tried for years, years to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And they simply could not have a baby. And so they finally decided, well, we're going to go a different route. We're going to foster to adopt. And very quickly, they had two children, one almost right after the other, placed in their home. Both of them were special needs. The oldest one is on the autism scale. And the second one has a story that just broke my heart. He was born at 24 weeks. So he was just this, just this little scrap of humanity. So for weeks of his life, he was lying there in an isolate. And there came a point where his biological parents, who were not married, just quit coming. As a mother to four baby boys, I cannot fathom what causes a biological mother to turn her back and to walk away from her flesh and blood Mm -hmm. or a father doing that. But there he lay, and the time came where he was ready to be released from the hospital, and he needed a family. And he was helpless, special needs, handicapped, completely unable to provide that family for himself. And that's where my brother and his wife entered the picture. And when they got the call, they prayed about it. They considered it. They knew that Brady was was going to be special needs, most likely. And they chose to adopt that helpless baby boy. I don't know what better illustrates the heart of God for us. I, You know, we were all like Brady. 
helpless, special needs, handicapped, uh, lying there in that isolate with no power to save ourselves. There was no way that Brady could do what I had been doing all my life, to work hard, to somehow earn his way into a family. But here came an earthly father with a heart of love and an earthly mother who longed for that infant, and they adopted him legally into their family. That so precious. It is so precious, and he is thriving, and he is flourishing, and he's walking, and he's talking now and then. I look at Brady, and I see me. Oh. I've heard it said before that our earthly fathers are often our first picture of who God is to us as a child. This picture can heavily impact, at least initially, how we think about God. No fathers are truly perfect, but is there a scene from your childhood or from someone you've watched where you saw a beautiful earthly picture of God's father heart? Here's an odd thing. I have learned so much about the fatherhood of God by being a mother. There are so many times, I can't tell you how many times, when I am thinking over something about myself, my relationship with God, like, Lord, how do you feel about me, knowing this about me? And very often, God will say, if it were one of your boys, how would you feel about him? And almost instantly, I know what he's thinking about me. God has taught me that we are made in his image, right? So there, there's just nothing good that I can have in me toward my sons. No maternal nurturing instinct, that unconditional love, that protective fierceness that I feel. Mm-hmm. Even a heart of correction at times, that instruction. But there's nothing good I can feel or be toward my sons that God isn't first, foremost, and far more. And that gives me so much comfort. You know, when I mess up, oh, it's, it's vastly comforting. And it allows something inside my heart to relax. Mm-hmm. Because just as I don't uh, evict one of my boys from the family, and my boys have done some doozies, I could tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anything from vinegar ice cubes, right? freezing a tray full of vinegar ice cubes and dropping them in my Diet Coke to, to, you know, to the hole, the huge hole that we have in a closet wall because of a chase sequence that happened in my house to bigger (laughs) things, you know, like lying or disobeying. Mm -hmm. I may get angry sometimes at what they do, but never once have I considered on adopting them or rejecting them. And even in that, in my own responses, which are sometimes fallen, in my own responses to my sons, I can get glimpses of God's heart toward me when I blow it. And believe me, I have proverbially put holes in the closet wall. I have made stains on his carpet, so to speak. I have lied to him. I have covered up my sin. I have disobeyed, and God's response to me has been such grace and such compassion. Mm -hmm. And even when he needs to speak a hard word to me, Shannon, 
so much love and care. Wow. It's amazing. Such a comfort. I believe that God so tenderly holds us in his hand, but we can choose to crawl out of that hand on our own. Scripture says in Romans 8.38 that nothing can separate us from the love of God, and that is so comforting. But we can choose in our sin to walk away from him. We love the idea of God as being someone who is sitting with those open arms. We climb into his lap and experience his voice, his presence, his love, and his protection. Is that how you felt in your journey of experiencing the heart of God? Oh, goodness, no. No, it's not. Like I told you, um, I started from a frame of reference that God is angry and that God not only is angry and demanding, but he has the power to erase my name from the book of life. And that's literally how I felt, that the least Mm -hmm. little slip up, he was up there with his giant celestial eraser taking my name out of the book of life. That is truly, I'm choosing this word very carefully, but that is truly a hellish way to live because there is no peace Mm -hmm. or rest in that and there's no love. So between three and four years ago, there came a literal day on the calendar when I could no longer maintain that performance. Um, I labored all my life under the disease of perfectionism. And, of course, that's a monster that will never be satisfied. You can never get everything Mm -hmm. right. You know. And that's that's just torture. So there came a day when I literally could not do it anymore. It was like a lifetime of perfectionism, disease, performance, work, striving, came crashing down on me. And I got up from my quiet time with God that day, and I went out running my three miles on our country roads and I was crying and screaming and shaking my fist at the heavens. And I said to God that day, if the next 40 some years are exactly like the first 40 some years have been, I Mm -hmm. will not do it. Roll me in the ditch right now. If that's all there is And Shannon, I meant it over three years later. I am here talking to you. God did not roll me in the ditch. I said to him that day, (laughs) I know. I said to him that day, I'm done working for you. I will not work for you anymore. I will not perform for you anymore. God, I am not your spotted monkey. Mm. Can you guess what his response was to me in all my pain? And my rage and my fury that poured out at him that day. I could see him in my mind's eye. Jesus Christ. He was leaning back with his arms folded across his chest. There was a smile on his face. And he said to this raging, hurting girl one word. He said, finally. Finally. That started a process of months, months. And there came a day during that process where a person of wisdom looked me square in the face and said, you are an orphan. (gasps) What? (laughs) It took weeks and months to think on that. What did it mean that I was living 
as an orphan. And I'll tell you, Shannon, God began to show me so gently and in these little tiny nuggets as I could receive it because I was in such an owie place. I could not handle much. I don't know, even uh, praying to him at that time. When my youngest son was born, he was born at 35 weeks. He was in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit for 11 days. And they transferred him over there when he was three hours old. My heart went over with him in that ambulance. And I went over, of course, I called my husband at 12 hours post-birth. And I said, get me out of here. The baby is not doing well. I had had a call from his doctor. He had taken a turn for the worse. Mm. The next morning when I went in there to see him, he had an earmuff on the one ear that was up and a sign above his head that said minimal stress. I could not touch him. I could not hold him for days. Mm. Killed me. I bet. Finally, one of the nurses in there said, you know, I've been researching pulmonary hypertension in babies. And what's happening is that these babies are working so hard. Their little bodies are fighting so hard to get better that they literally cannot handle any extra stimulation. Because if we would touch him, his vitals would just drop. And uh, all of a sudden, then one day he took a turn for the better and I could finally get my hands on my infant and Mm -hmm. snuggle him and and cuddle him. But in those first early days of my meltdown, for lack of a better word, when I felt that sensitive from a lifetime of pressure and performing and work, and I was so raw and so exhausted, the Lord would say to me, you are Gabriel in the isolate. And he was so tender Mm -hmm. and so respectful and so gentle. It was, it was amazing, Shannon, God's Mm -hmm. gentleness and his vast mercy and kindness to me during that time that I was learning actually that I had been living as an orphan who did not have such a good and kind heavenly father. God reached down to you in those owie moments and he used those rough times to bring you to attention to him and in such a personal way. That's so precious. And I really appreciated too how your friend showed you that you were possibly living like an orphan and and how you were able to, instead of defending that, and you were willing to look at that from your friend's perspective. Well, that was critical. That was absolutely critical for me to be confronted with that hard truth. Because here's what I began to see. How does an orphan live? I spend a long time thinking about that. An orphan lives as though they have to defend themselves, to protect themselves. So you're hypervigilant to any perceived threat because you do not trust down in your bone marrow that anybody has your back. And that was God. That was my husband. Anybody close to me, I didn't truly trust that they had my back, no matter what evidence there was to the contrary. An orphan scraps to provide for himself. It's, it's very much a self centered way to live. And I'll tell you something blunt. It's a godless way to live. And when God revealed that to me, he did it so kindly, not in a critical condemning way, but he just showed that to me so gently that I was able to receive that because it really was a self-centered and a godless way to live. 
when all along I had the best father that any of us could ever have Mm -hmm. and wasn't living like it. So it was during that time that I started to say to God, I don't need one more story about who you've been or what you've done for anybody else. Don't even, don't even mess with me there. Don't I want to go there. Yeah, don't even go there. God. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would tell him, I want to know now for myself who you are and what you think of me. And he started doing that very thing. Bless his name. Mm-hmm. He started showing me for myself who he was and what he thought of me. What he wanted for you all along, but he just wanted you to be able to want it yourself. Boy, that's for sure. That is key (laughs) right there, Shannon. Thank you for bringing that up. All right, everyone. We're going to take a little break and come back in just a moment. As you're getting your coffee mug a warm-up, reaching for a refreshing drink, mopping your floors, driving to the airport, or any other task you're completing while listening to today's podcast, I would like to read a letter to you. I assure you, it's no Dear John letter either. No, it's a letter penned straight from our Father, whom desires a personal relationship with each one of us ladies here today. This letter was recommended to us by Victoria Massey, so I want to credit her for sharing this beautiful compilation titled Father's Love Letter. The copyright for the website is as follows. Permission to copy and reprint, providing that it is used in its entirety, and the following copyright notice is displayed. Father's Love Letter used by permission, Father Heart Communications, copyright 1999, fatherslovelettercom It is displayed here with the verses titling each promise that's shared. And on the website, we will display those first references so that you can go back and read them. But just as I'm sharing here on the podcast, I will omit those references, but they will be right there on the website for you to read yourself. It's just for easier reading, that's all. Father's Love Letter. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know you when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. For you are made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. For you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You are not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love upon you, simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope, because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul, and I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. 
for it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I'll take away all the pain you have ever suffered on this earth. I am your Father, and I love you even as I love my Son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me, and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father and always will be father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. Love your dad, almighty God. All right, we're back on the air with Rhonda Schrock from Wakarusa, Indiana. Rhonda, what was one of the first things you experienced that God used to show you in his heart? Well, I would say the fact that he stuck right with me during that season of pain and fury and rage and all of the stuff that I was facing and all the things that I was pouring out and all that devastation I was feeling, he stuck with me. He did not condemn me. He did not scold me or shame me. He stayed right there. And no matter, I mean, on the worst of my black days, and I mean, I had black days on the worst of them, even though I was not in a place where I wanted to pray, I wasn't reading my Bible, because that just constituted a lot of work to me, I could still always feel his presence. Mm -hmm. So amazing that the God I had thought was so angry stuck with me as I poured out all my anger at him. Mm -hmm. Just this constant sense of his abiding presence and his love. He has so much patience. Yes. Yes, he's very patient. And I learned during that that the humility of God is unbelievable. The God of the universe who hangs the stars and keeps them hanging and created us is willing to stay put and to stoop low as we rage at him. And we blame him for all manner of things that he's never been guilty of. And he takes it. He stays there with us and he takes it. What humility is mm -hmm. that? Wow. How has the Father heart of God revealed to you changed your everyday life? I'm a words girl, and I don't know if I even have <laughs> have the words to tell you. <laughs> but I'm going to try, Shannon. Okay. Um, God started out with me at the very bottom, basic, foundational level. I would be out running. And he would say to me, very simply, if you could pick the perfect dad, how would he look? And I would, as I'm running along in the sunshine on that gravel road, I would start listening to him all the things that a perfect dad would look like to me. And every single time 
I, after I'd be done with that list, he would say to me these same words. That is but a dim reflection of what I am for you. Wow. And there would be days when I would start out on my run and this amazing God of the universe would say to me, in his position as a father, I could feel it. He would say, what do you need from me today? Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? It is. It's awesome. Beautiful. Yes. Yes. What were some of those things you listed? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So I'm a girl, right? Which means I have a lot of emotions and feelings and <laughs> ups and downs. <laughs> um, and remember that I live in a house full of men, right? Yes. So I'm very much a girl in my heart. And so as a girl, this is what I told God that I would love for him to be. Oh, my goodness. I, I wanted a father who I would know all the time had my back. Mm-hmm. Just this safe, solid presence that was always there. It's important to me to have a God, a father figure God, that is much bigger and stronger than I am. Because if you think about it, okay, you're a little boy right now. He, I'm sure he looks up to his dad and thinks that his daddy is the most wonderful thing in the world. And why? Partly because he is so much bigger and stronger, right? Right. I want a God, a father, that is way bigger and stronger than this little girl. Because I I couldn't trust a God that was only as big as me. Hmm. So I take a lot of comfort in having a great, big, strong father, God, who is big and burly in my mind. So I want, (laughs) you know, that just that image conveys... Security. I would say to him, I would want a dad that would tell me that he's proud of me and that I'm beautiful and that he loves the way I did that one thing. You know, that kind of thing. I would just list everything that I longed for from him. And then would come those words without fail. That is but a dim reflection of what I am. And of course, the wisdom that a father brings into your life, just to have somebody who's wiser than you that you can go to. Because I crave wisdom. I crave that sound advice that will teach me how to live and will interpret, help me interpret God's will for me. And who better to do that than the one who actually made me? Mm -hmm. It was uh, during that time of discovering his fatherhood that he showed me that He, what he desired from me, remember that lifetime of working and trying so hard to to please him. After that striving, he told me one day, it's not your obedience that I desire first. I want to have your heart because if I have your heart, I will have your obedience. What a fatherly way to deal with a child. Right. It wasn't forceful. Exactly. He was wanting you, your heart first. Yes. Not just going through the motion. Exactly. Because you can force obedience from your children. And we have done that in the past. That was a grave mistake that we made early on in our parenting. Forcing obedience at times. Instead of, how do I say it? Making sure that we were connected with our sons at a heart level which then almost naturally leads them to obedience. There are times when God asks us to obey him without knowing the reasons, strictly out of trust. 
But the reason we can do that is because we have that secure relationship with him. So now God could ask me to do something kind of out there. And now that I know him and I love Mm -hmm. him, I am able to trust him. And so obedience is far easier for me than it ever used to be because Mm -hmm. I know that he loves me. So it's the same way with our children. Sometimes we have to say to them, I need you to obey me here. Just trust me. And if you have that solid, safe, nurturing relationship with them, they will probably be willing to do that. Right. God was sharing that the forceful was not how he works, and that's not how he wants us to work with our own children, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. So we know and understand that God desires obedience. And often we hear that, like you had shared, obedience is one of the best ways to know that we're following God. So you felt like God was saying in a practical, everyday way, if I have your love, I will have your obedience as well. How did that look like in a practical, everyday sense for you? Serving him from a place of fear. Mm -hmm. I now live in a different place where I am able to serve. It's not that I never struggle with that fear, but more and more and more all the time. I am able to obey him from a place of rest and On the basis of the relationship that I now have with him, I am able to rest in his presence in a way that was foreign to me for actual decades. That is such a different place to live. In Psalm 23, it says that God leads us beside still waters and he makes us to lie down in green pastures. Does that sound like a place of striving and great self-effort to you? Not at all. No, it's a very peaceful place. And why? Because the sheep are not drug there or driven there. The sheep are led there. Mm. And they follow because they trust that shepherd. Kind of like the difference between a a shepherd versus a sheep herder. The way that they lead those sheep are two different, very separate methods, but one forces and the other one leads. Yes. And in the forced, let's say you've got a pasture right next to it where it is a sheep herder and he uses the whip. Those sheep are not resting. Mm -mm. There's no rest in their lives. So this is also a really good exercise to do. For a while, when I was focusing on the Lord as my shepherd, he would say the same question to me as God, my father, had asked me. He would say, Jesus would say, if you could choose the perfect shepherd, how would that shepherd look? What a great exercise, because then he would also say the same words that Father God would say. When I would get done with that perfect shepherd list, he would say, That is just a dim reflection of what I am. Mm -hmm. So now, as a sheep in his pasture, a child at the father's table, I am, most of the time, I just simply, Shannon, am happy. I've decided that I am not afraid of the word happy anymore. I think Christians, and I've done this too, we've been 
rather afraid and skittish to use the word happy. And we always jump in and we say, oh, but we mean joy. And it doesn't act because happiness can come and go. It can. But yet the shepherd boy in Psalms said, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. And I can testify with David that most of the time I just simply feel happy. Even though things in my life are not finished, completed, there are still trials and difficulties in my life because of the way that I know the shepherd and the way that I know the father, I genuinely am happy most of the time. Can you imagine what a relief that is to a girl who worked so hard? Wow, it would be it would be so such a revelation of peace. Oh, yes, it is very much a place of peace. The other thing that comes to me right now is that, well, so if you look back at my story, do you see what, what was happening? God was beginning to build a, an actual emotional, mental, spiritual attachment to me. Mm-hmm. which I had not had before. It was a new thought. Well, yes. So before where I related to him from a position of fear, I don't relate to him that way anymore. And I am able to feel love for this immensely good God. I now have an emotional attachment to him. Okay, so my children, if I force them to obey without that relationship of love and trust, They will not have a safe, healthy, warm, emotional attachment to me. They can't have when it's built on fear. We can't have that kind of attachment to God either when we are fear-based in our Mm -hmm. connecting with him. What a revelation it was to me the day God said to me, out on my beloved Bright Orange Swing, the BOS. <laughs> that's my happy place. And God said, if you desire an emotional attachment with those close to you, it's because you are made in my image, and it's because I desire that emotional attachment with, with you. And I put that desire in you so that you will want that attachment with me. Mm-hmm. Do you see how that all ties together? Yes. God wants you. He doesn't just want your service. He doesn't just want your compliance. He wants that loving, honest, brutally honest, healthy, emotional, comforting attachment with you. Shannon, you cannot want that with your son and daughter more then God wants it with you. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. What does it mean to you to love God as your father? In 1 John 4:19, John shares, We love him because he first loved us. We're loving God in response to his love, but can you tell us what that looks like to you? Yes. You can't really love somebody fully that you don't trust. And you cannot really trust someone you don't know. This is something else. Some of the best lessons God teaches me are out on the road. (laughs) When it's just me, you know, and God and the birds. He said to me one day, if a perfect stranger came up and asked you to entrust him with your most precious possessions, which would be my children, 
or all of your savings and insist to you that he was a trustworthy person, would you would you do that? Would that be reasonable for you to trust him? And I said, no. He said, then how would it be reasonable to expect that you are able to trust me if you don't know me? Mm-hmm. As he began, as he began to real, reveal himself to me, I began to trust him, Shannon. And as I began to trust him, I was able to start loving him. Mm-hmm. And so then again, that obedience then follows almost naturally from that place of love. In First John, it says perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And perfect doesn't mean flawless, sinless perfection. It means maturity and completion. And I am seeing more and more and more in my own life how very true that is. When I am settled and secure, the more I mature in my awareness, my understanding of God's love for me, the less and less and less fear I have. Mm-hmm. And it completely changes the way I relate to God. When I personally think of God as a father, I know he is the father of love, but fathers also represent authority. And sometimes that means correction or discipline. Was there an experience you had where you felt that side of the father's heart for you as well? Oh, goodness. I cannot wait to tell you about this. Seriously, <laughs> this is so exciting, Shannon, because it's been Such a revelation. Okay, so where I used to be absolutely terrified of God, and for me personally, communion times were times of great turmoil. I dreaded communion like the plague because I was just terrified that I'd done something, that I would take the cup unworthily, that whole passage, and I would scour my life, turn myself inside out, trying to find, okay, do you hear the word self in there? There's that Self, when you when you hear yourself doing that, just heads up, stop and think about it. I would examine myself to try to police and catch anything I'd ever done. So much fear. Mm-hmm. Fear uh, of God's judgment and wrath. So this is the way that God relates with me now. Okay, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And he really means that. His voice is always gentle, even his voice of correction. So one day I was out running and I was praying for one of my boys who was struggling, really struggling at the time. And I was praying, God, please send good friends for my son. And as gently and as simply as could be, he stopped me in my tracks and he said, it doesn't work that way. He has to want that kind of friend. And immediately, uh, Philippians 2.13 popped into my mind. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And it was such a light bulb moment. But, of course, I don't go places I don't want to go. I don't eat food I don't like. I don't do things I don't want to do. God isn't going to give us something that we don't want. Here is the beauty of Philippians 2.13. It is God which worketh in you both to will and then to do. The will is the want to, and that comes first before any of the doing. And the amazing thing is that God does that work in our hearts to make us want to do what is right. 
in all my life, I had worked and worked to try to change my own desires, generate better repentance, generate greater faith, come up with somehow conjure up with feelings of love toward people that aren't even likable. You know, I can love (laughs) to be honest. and, And I've learned I don't have to like a person to love them. But here's the beauty of this. Philippians. That's a whole, that's a whole topic in itself. <laughs> yes. Yes. So here's what God showed me in that moment on the road that changed forever how I pray. Then and there I began to pray, then Lord, give him the good desires. Give him your desires. Because when God gives us a right desire, we will do it. He'll give us the power to do it. So now to your question, when God corrects me, how do I see his father heart? God has literally, I mean, I could give you specifics, but I can't, put in my heart a desire to go and do something that I had no earthly or fleshly desire to do. His Holy Spirit convinced me that it was the right thing to do. And he then gave me just enough desire, not excitement, perhaps, but desire, and then the power to just do it. And I felt such pleasure from him in that obedience. And he had corrected me on something that needed correcting, but he did it by an actual heart change that I was powerless to do. There is so much power in this principle and it's the simplicity of it is so freeing. God and I have this shorthand now. When someone comes to mind, and I'm maybe not quite sure what they need, but they need something different than the way they're living, I will just say to God, 213 them, Lord. (laughs) Yes, it's so simple. And I will say to God, 213 me. Mm -hmm. And Shannon, he just does it. Paul said, I fear lest the serpent has beguiled you from the simplicity that is found in Christ. And I'll tell you, It is truly the beguiling of the enemy serpent that causes us everything to seem so complicated when in reality the gospel of Christ and walking with him day by day, moment by moment in our ordinary lives is actually simple. Even his correction. Sometimes our earthly fathers aren't able to give us a good picture of who God is as our heavenly father. But often God does give us other men in our lives, maybe leaders, who helped us to shape our perspective. Was there a man in your life particularly who did give you that glimpse of who God is as our dad? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to be vulnerable here and tell you a family story. We had a prodigal son for years. And when I say prodigal, I mean in the classic biblical sense, he ran away, in quotes here, to the far country. And there came a point in his journey where we had to ask him to leave, to move out. Uh, probably the most excruciating thing that a parent could would ever have to do. And we had to simply release him. So he moved out. And in that, he really, both parties, really needed that distance and that Something of a separation. He was in a very, uh, very dark place. During that time, it was clear that he needed us to let him go. 
which we largely did. We simply allowed him, we, we left him alone, except as we felt God prompt us to reach out to him. For example, he was working right close to our house here in town. And he would be working double shifts, and he wasn't eating much, and he was burning himself out. And so every once in a while, we would just go pick up a foot long at Subway, which we knew he adored. You you have a boy. You will find out the way to a boy's heart is straight through the stomach. <laughs> so, you know, when, when we felt God prompting us, we would go get him a sub. We would stop in at work, just take two or three minutes, hug his neck, say hi, give him the food, and we would leave. At one point, my husband was over at his apartment, saw that he was sleeping on a mattress on the floor, and that broke his heart. So when the time was right and he had a chance, he just said to his son, would you like for me to buy you a bed? So he said, sure, we bought him a bed. Just little things like that. So there came a point in his journey where he reached the end of the line. He was in the pig pen eating the slop. And he had literally nowhere else to turn. But because we, and my husband in particular, was so strong during this time, because we had maintained that relationship, because we had, we might have evicted him, but we never rejected him. Mm-hmm. We kept that door open. And when he got to the pig pen, that door was open for that prodigal to return. Mm -hmm. You never closed that door. No, we always open. It was always open. And I'll tell you also, during that time, he was living completely in his own world. He was not thinking of anyone but himself. And he would tell you this. We did not sit around here thinking, when is he going to come to us? When is he going to call us? When is he going to do for us? What an ungrateful, wretched son he is. That was not our attitude. So fast forward, he had a crisis. He came back to his dad because he knew that dad loved him no matter what. And after he was back on his feet, someone told us, it is the children's job to pursue the parents. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, and saying to my husband, but that's not how God works with us. Christ died for us while we were in our sins, while we were still powerless to save ourselves. Christ came. And so my husband went to our son that very day and he said, what would you have done if I had not pursued you? And our son said with no hesitation, dad, I would for sure still be in my sin, but I would either be dead or I would be in prison. Mm. I will never to my dying day forget those words. So I look at my husband's pursuit of his son and that love that he extended even when he was at his worst. And it was his love that helped really to save that boy of mine. Mm-hmm. Wow. And th- That's precious. It's precious and it's powerful, and it should give hope to any of our listeners that are struggling with a prodigal child or a spouse or 
that are struggling just to know. Or a friend. Yes, or a friend, or just struggling to know the father's heart toward themselves. Mm-hmm. Even in the pig pen, that heart is open toward us. How has experiencing the father's heart for you changed how you think about the world? How you interact with your family day to day and how you just generally see life? Oh, goodness. Um, it, it changes absolutely everything. Like I had just referred to First John uh, where it says perfect love casts out fear. Look at how freely your children live when they're in that state of innocence and they don't have a fear because they're secure, settled, confident in your love. More and more and more, as the Lord continues to heal me and strengthen me, that is how I find myself living. So as you become more settled and secure in God's love for you, is there really anything that you cannot do because of Christ in you and because of that solid love? It takes care of the fear of man. It dissolves your fear of the future. It relieves your fear of your own past, your own mistakes, your own weakness. You don't have to fear any of that anymore because of that unfailing, unconditional love of God. And so you begin to relate to other people from that place of love. So if somebody rejects you, so what? It doesn't change anything about you. If somebody disagrees with you, who cares? Nothing changes about God's heart for you. Nothing changes about your own value and worth. When God has answered the question of your value and worth, there is nothing that can truly shake you. Mm-hmm. You can't help but see God in a whole different new light. Oh, yes. And so you are able to love people that you don't even like. You are able to love people that are wildly different than you. You're able to love because you're not fearing them anymore. When you fear people, you can't really love them. So it's important, it's critical to know the love of God for yourself so that you can then go out and love the people that God has put you in, the circle that you're in. I'd love to keep listening all day long, but for the sake of time, we're going to have to go ahead and close. Thank you so much for sharing your topic here today. Blessings to you, Rhonda, as you continue to allow our Father to hold you in the palm of His hand. Bye for now. Thank you, Shannon. Take care. (laughs) Well, ladies, that concludes this week's podcast episode. How has this episode encouraged or challenged you or someone you know? We'd love to hear from you. Just remit your email to info at womenforhishonor.com with attention, ministry team, and a subject line. Today's guest would love to hear from you as well. Using the same email address, just type attention with our guest name in the subject line. Rhoda Yoder will then pass on your email to the guest, keeping your sent message completely confidential. Thank you for supporting our ministry by listening today. Bye for now.